The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Nathan. Will you pray with me, church? Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to hear Nathan's story. We pray, God, as you uh, open our lives up to your revelation, that we would hear you in new and profound ways. We know that the season of waiting and the season of temptation, uh, Lord, that for many of us in the room, it looks different, but at all of our disposal, Lord, is this, is this opportunity this morning that your spirit longs to fill us, your hope and faith long to guide us even while we wait for what's next. And so do the work that you long to do. Bring your women and men into deeper and deeper truth this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Seasons, week two, your sermon title is called Waiting Well, Waiting Well. Uh, the temptation narratives are interesting for uh, different reasons. One of the reasons is because all of us, we can identify with a temptation in our lives, particularly when we're younger. Temptation is a right or wrong, a, a something we know not to do, but we're led for whatever reason to, to fulfill the carnal desires of our flesh and to break covenant with the truth and, and to, to either succumb to temptation or not. For me, it was vacation Bible school that was my great temptation. See, I would go every summer to vacation Bible school as a young man. I would stay with my grandmother or my aunt. I would attend Hood Canal Community Church's vacation Bible school, and I would want to dominate the other kids. I was an out-of-towner. I would want to show my proficiency of memorizing verses. We would literally get gold stars. I would watch those gold stars grow during the, during the week, and I wanted to win. By morning, I was a champion Bible verse memorizer. The, the verses didn't mean anything in my life. I wasn't a person of faith yet, but I was going through the motions. By the afternoons, we'd play baseball next to the church. And it was during baseball next to the church one afternoon. Remember, gold star in the morning, in the afternoon, baseball. One of the boys brought out a baseball with a Mariners logo on it, shiny, new. I'd never had a new baseball like this. Imagine walking the joy, a brand new baseball. I wanted that. I could just taste it. I knew, I knew it wasn't mine, but I wanted it. So we're playing baseball at next to the church. One of the boys hits a, you know, a ground rule double, goes out into the ivy, and I run out there, and there's that baseball, and I could just see the Mariners logo, and then I called over my shoulder, it's, it's a goner, guys, can't find it at all, and I covered it over with leaves to set the trap for my own failure. Game over, literally, we lost the ball. Later that night, I was staying at my aunt's who lived in the shadow of Hood Canal Community Church, and I told her I needed to 
get fresh air, whatever an eight-year-old might say to lie to his aunt. I don't know how I got out of the house. I got out there. I uncovered the leaves, and there it was, my failure. I took the ball. I stole the ball. I hid the ball. I returned it home to my home in Olympia where in no time at all, my temptation was revealed. I had to confess my sin and write a letter of apology and send them, you know, and you get the point. The temptation was to take something not mine and act as if it were my own. Pretty simple. The temptation for many of us in the room starts to change as we age, where it's less about something right or wrong that we know not to do and we do it anyway, and it becomes more about control. It it becomes more about timing and, and about trying to clutch and grab that which is not ours to clutch and grab, namely our time. And so it's this challenge and a temptation that the enemy comes to Christ. We can identify there's a temptation not to wait for God in the season that he has for us. For my younger kids, they can't wait for next year's birthday party. They can't wait to be like their big sister or their big brother. Like they, they can't wait to be older. For my older friends, some of us, we can't wait to be younger. Like there's this temptation to not actually live fully in the season in which God has placed us because it's a temptation about control instead of trust. And so today, as we look at the temptation of Christ, we're coming up against the real point of this series, that if you can't learn to live in all the seasons of discipleship, you won't able to be able to follow Christ. Jesus said the same thing to the Pharisees and Sadducees in the book of Matthew, where he says, you can look to the skies to predict the weather, but you don't know how to read the seasons. So if we are going to be women and men on a journey of following Christ in every season to grow our faith, we must learn to wait. And by wait, I mean a season where God's timing is unknown, in which for most of us in the room, you're like, oh, you mean like right now? And the scriptures are full of waiting. Like when you start to read the scriptures with this lens of how to wait where our faith isn't eroded, the scriptures are full of it. Israel, 430 years, they're stuck in captivity in Israel. Their freedom they thought would be a moment. It was a whole movement, 40 years in the desert, another 400 years between the Old and New Testaments and individuals, people that were forced to wait and failed as they wait have failed to actually grow in, in trust and obedience, and instead they took the idol, the temptation of, uh, of seizing the action that they thought they had to do instead of waiting for God. Think about King Saul, who was told to wait for the priest in order to offer a sacrifice before a battle. It's taking too long. He slaughters the animal as the priest walks up. He said, Saul, Saul, what have you done? He failed as he waited. Or Abraham and Sarah, though they waited well in some capacity, Sarah became very cynical when the angel of the Lord said, you will have a child, Sarah. She laughed, probably not of joy, but of cynicism. There is so much failure that lurks as we wait. Abraham waiting in a time of wilderness for him after his confirmation from God in Genesis. They enter Egypt and it's famine in the land. He sends his wife as his sister to the Pharaoh. Doesn't wait well. Moses 
wilderness, people complaining, doesn't wait well, strikes the rock, water flows, his sin, instead of trusting and obedience for what God wanted to give him, he rushed the season, he failed in the temptation, he doesn't enter the promised land. There's all sorts of examples that people fail as they wait. There's also many examples in scriptures who wait well. Like David in the cave when he could take Saul's life and said, it's not mine to take. He waited well in that moment. Or how about Joshua who waited in obedience to God just to, to give him authority in the right time. And it's Joshua that takes Israel in a promised land and he lives a very godly life. Think about the New Testament in the Advent stories of Simeon and Anna who were waiting to see the Lord and they were waiting in the temple and they beheld Christ's presence. So some fail as they wait and some wait well, but all will wait. And a primary temptation for us will be wrapped up in our desire to shape the outcomes of our life instead of trusting God with his timing. So faith in God, church, and trust in his timing will contain much waiting. This is my story as well waiting to figure out what God wanted me to do with my life, waiting for, for Heather to get pregnant the first go-around. We thought it'd be a month. It was over a year. Waiting for my business to sell. I thought it would be short. God, I want to honor you. It took years. Waiting to get through a season of grief. Thought it would be short. Took a very long time. It continues to this day. Man, if you don't learn to wait, your faith will be skin deep. And so Christ comes to the temptation narrative today to set for us an example that we can wait patiently, which is a skill utterly contrary to our lust for instant gratification. And, and God is going to teach us through the example of Christ about the surprising purpose and instruction that waiting can offer us. So here's the gist of our teaching, church, is we have to fight the temptation. We have to wait well. We have to fight the temptation. We have to wait well. Despite the temptation to worry or to force God's hand or, or, or to take control of our time, somehow learning to wait well is found and understand God's timing is surprising and purposeful and I even dare say instructional. So let's learn that from Christ's example through the temptation narratives this morning together. Let's look at this first point of our outline. The waiting is surprising. And what I mean here is if you're looking at your Bible, Luke 4 has these temptation narratives where this is right after Christ is established. He's been baptized. He's full of the Spirit. We'll come to that in a moment. Luke gives us his entire genealogy, which means his entire bloodline in Luke 3 to say, yep, he's the one we waited for. He's the one God promised to send. It's in Luke 3. It's all there. It's the, it's the whole thing. Ha <laughs> Okay. We're ready to go. Boom, temptation. That's super surprising and counterintuitive for me that God takes places where we feel like he's established us and given us fullness and given us his spirit and given his gifts and it's from that place that sometimes we're led into temptation or wilderness experiences. That's surprising to me. In all these temptations, the, the three that are given to us here through Luke 4, Satan is offering a shortcut to his waiting for God's timing. I mean, that's the gist of it. He's saying, Jesus, you know, I'll give you bread, I'll give you power, I'll give you authority. But they're all saying, follow me and I will shortcut God's timing. You won't have to wait if you follow me. It's a lie. Look at verse 1 of, of Luke 4. Uh, verse 1, Luke 4, Jesus, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's surprising to me. Why, why then? 
Why then would Christ be led by the Spirit into the wild places? He was led, he was full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. The wilderness here is this Greek word, aramos, which means lonesome, wasteful, desert, desolate, a place of testing. I, I, I mean, I, I, wish it, I wish I could say something different to you, because as I studied it this week, I was like, no, no, Satan does the, the leading into tempting places and into wilderness, right? No, the Spirit at times will lead us in places that will feel like the wilderness, the Spirit at times will lead us to places that we'll have to wait. The Spirit at times will lead us to places that we don't necessarily want to be. And that's surprising. But God's got something for you in those places. Because in those wasteland places that can be the absolute testimony to God's great faith in our life. One of the great understatements of Scripture here comes in verse 2 or 3, where after 40 days, Jesus was very hungry. And look at verse 3 here. Jesus is hungry, and this is the place the devil said to him, Luke 4, verse 3, the devil said, if you're the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. The devil said, if. And if you notice here, if you're following along in Luke 4, this is the, the word the devil keeps speaking. If you're the Son of God, if you're this, if if this is what the enemy wants to do, is not to offer us an alternative power source, but to speak words of if into our lives. I hate the enemy for this reason. I hate how he takes God's power and God's truth and tries to twist it into people's lives that want to follow God. If and it's no accident if you study the temptation. The devil waits 40 days until Jesus is hungry. He waits for the wilderness. So when you find yourself in wild places, when you find yourself in seasons of desolation, when you, when you find yourself of, of places that feel like you're hungry, you're hungry for something that the world's not giving you. You're hungry for intimacy with God that the Spirit's not giving you. You're hungry for a different season in your marriage with your children, with your roommates. Like, I'm hungry, Lord. Pay attention. This is often the very place where the enemy wants to sow these seeds of if. If you were a better man, you would have never done that. If you were a real woman, you would know that God's promises are true. If, if, I wish we could just strike the word from our vocabulary as people of faith, but we are not allowed to do so. And so it is surprising to me that the Spirit leads us into places where our faith will be challenged, and yet these are the seasons of waiting that we find ourselves in. Some of you are waiting right now where the season will change. A birth, a graduation, an arrival, a departure. Like this won't be like this forever. Just, just wait well. And others of you, it's like, man, I'm not sure when this season ends. I'm waiting for a healing or a relationship or intimacy. Take heart, church, that there is hope while you wait. I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know what you're hoping for. But the surprising nature of the Spirit of God is that even while you wait, he can use this time. He'll be good to you. It, it begs the question of like, you know, what, what speed does God really work in? And why does it sometimes feel really fast and often feel very slow? What's the speed of God? 
I don't know if you've heard of that phrase, that, you know, God speed you. It's, it's something that originally in Middle English came from these words, God sped you, God, God prosper you. So in the olden days, people would say, God speed you would be, may you, may you live to see the end of this journey. These words, God speed you, took on new importance in uh, February 20th, 1962 with John Glenn shot into space and fellow astronaut Scott Carpenter radioed these words that kind of lived in infamy in American history and pop culture. Godspeed, John Glenn, Godspeed. Godspeed. What is this, the speed of God? For most of us, it'll feel more like wilderness than rocket ship. Both, some of you are like heading into really new, exciting places where you trust God where he's leading you. Many others, the wilderness looks like a long, dry spell. This is surprising. God can work in this time too. And this leads us into our second point, that the waiting on God, God's timing, his waiting can be purposeful. This teaching gets increasingly uncomfortable to deliver to you as I have to, as I have to actually live with these words as I speak them. Waiting on God can be purposeful. Look at verses 5 through 8 of chapter 4. In verses 5 through 8, the temptation continues. The devil led Jesus to a high place and showed him in an instant. Pay attention to that. We'll circle back in that word in a moment. In an instant, in a quick moment, in a stigma, chrono, in Greek means in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world, he showed it all, and he said, I'll give you all authority and splendor has been given to me, and I give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. It sounds like Satan is quoting scripture. It's not. He's quoting himself. And Jesus said, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus is answering temptation, not with magic laser beams. He's, he's answering temptation with scripture and with waiting, the same tools God gives us. There's no get out of waiting free cards in the life of faith. But we can stand on the promises of scripture and we can, like Christ, we can wait well. And so the devil in a moment is trying to speak this temptation to Jesus about speed. Like, you don't have to wait. You don't have to, you don't have to be hungry anymore. Like, I can establish you. I can give you power. I can give you authority. I can give you a new relationship. I can give you a different belief system that won't be disappointed as often. I can give you a new job. I can give you, I can give you, I can give you. And what the enemy is speaking lies about is about speed. And what Christ's hope is found is in a different value that's utterly almost impossible for us as moderns, but it's a word the Lord wants you to dwell on this week. The word is restraint. A people of faith can know restraint because God is God and I am not. Restraint. Proverbs 16, 4. Look at this verse. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. Remember, the enemy wants to come with this quick answer and, and what God wants to actually establish Jesus is is a slow unfolding of, of, of his glory and God's got a reason and a purpose for the waiting it's amazing, though, if you look at uh, Psalm 64, I think we can bring it up here. Psalm 64, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. He's made everything for its purpose. Why this is important is this. Because as I studied it this week, it's like the Lord made everything for his purpose, right? That's, no. No, the Lord doesn't necessarily take you and pluck you into the midst of situations you need to wait in. 
or stick you into a health diagnosis that you didn't want or stick you into a broken relationship with a family member to see you suffer. Some waiting is imposed upon us, but it can still have purpose. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. God can use everything for his glory. He can use it to establish you and to build you up. And so this removes from us the pressure in every season. Say, God, why did you do this to me? And instead, forge us to be women and men of faith saying, God, would you use even this season of waiting for its purpose to make me more like you? This is Christ's example. He doesn't use power for his own glory. He waited for God to do that. His whole ministry was one of waiting and of serving and taking the lowly path, taking the cross and not the crown because he knew in time God would establish him, that God could use everything for its purpose, for God's glory. And so when we hit seasons of waiting, when we hit seasons where God's timing seems to be off, we we reject the devil of lies who's speaking if to our identity, who wants to in an instant give us something different, and we can wait well. Or Psalm 33 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. We can wait well. Or as one author said, that waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. So we've got to get better at this skill of waiting patiently in expectation. It's the foundation where our faith is formed. If you're like me, you hate to wait. I'm married to somebody, bless her heart. She's sick today, so I can say whatever I want to say this morning. But she's routinely 12 to 16 minutes late everywhere we go. I'm routinely three to six minutes late. And so I judge her often because I don't want to wait. And it's like I'm sitting in the driveway. I'm tooting the horn. I'm like, I'm waiting. Well, yeah, this is what we do. We wait, right? Some of you have, you're in relationships where you have to wait. You're like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, I hate it too. We hate to wait. But waiting in the parking lot, thinking bad thoughts of somebody is not waiting well, right? That's just being angry and bitter, but like not having the courage to yell or something. I don't know. That's not what this is saying. That we don't hold a watch up to God and say, it's taking too long, Lord. No, we become people saying, your will, not mine. This diagnosis, this relationship, this child, this thing that I'm carrying, that I want to see a move in, God, I'm not angrily in the car tapping my watch. In faith, I'll say, you have a purpose here. Because as you wait, we can learn more about God's relationship. This is something that we've got to get better at. Look at this, look at this verse, Micah 7, 7. I, just, I offer this as a gift from the scriptures to you this morning. Micah 7, 7. But as for me, but as for me, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. And what if every time you have to wait, this becomes your declaration? You can wait because you believe God hears you. You believe even while you wait, God's working a purpose. You believe even while you're suffering, God can use this for its glory. And you're not sure how, but you don't have to be the, you know. We can be people trusting that God hears us. Because as we wait, our relationships are deepened. I had this friend in high school. We didn't really know each other much in junior high. 
but it's a long story. We ended up in downtown Seattle together in December in the late 80s. Hey, I'm here with my family. Hey, you're here with your family. We're both in eighth grade. Let's run around the city together. What could possibly go wrong? We ended up in the Sheridan Hotel where our families were staying, unsupervised, but this was the 80s. We had a lot of freedom back then. Unsupervised, running around Seattle. We're in the you know, Sheridan Hotel elevators and, uh, and we're like heading up. I don't know what we're doing, but something probably borderline destructive. And I said, look at this. You can push the emergency stop button and you can stop the elevator. Seemed like a pretty cool thing when I was eighth grade, right? So we come, you know, the elevator stops, the alarm starts going. He's looking at me. I'm like, yep, we got this. We're going to just wait here in this elevator. Pull the, the emergency stop button back out and I break it. Break the emergency stop button. The elevator doesn't move. I'm like, I got this. I've done this before. Push it in, pull it out, breaks again. Push it in, pull it out, breaks again. The phone rings. You know that phone in an elevator? Like, why is there a phone in the elevator? It was for that time in the late 80s. Uh, Yeah, this is uh, Sheridan, uh, security guard, Alpha, Bravo, Tango, whiskey. Uh... What seems to be your situation? We're stuck, sir. We're waiting in the elevator. Ah, yeah. Okay, we'll look into that. There was a technician who was coming from deep Bellevue at rush hour. We waited in the elevator for four hours. (laughs) We got calls from our parents to which I ordered room service with them. That did not, that little stunt did not work well with my parents. We waited for hours and hours and hours because I actually just did this really stupid thing. But something happened in that elevator where these two guys that like barely knew each other and pretty insecure as, you know, 12, 13 year olds are, we started to hang out and talk about our life stories. And what happened in that elevator, we're friends to this day. Because as you wait, there's an opportunity for intimacy, there's a, there's a purpose, dare I say, in places that might feel like you don't want to be here at all. And I learned that in that relationship and that friendship and God continuing to teach me that in my life of following him. God's timing and his waiting is surprising, but it can be purposeful. And this is where the teaching starts to make us squirm a bit. God's waiting can be instructional. It can actually teach us more about a life of faith. This is a tough one to preach, but stay with me. That God's waiting can be instructional. Look at verses 9 through 13 of Luke 4. The devil led Jesus now a third time and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Because sometimes our religious institutions are places where temptation for our own greatness lies. Preaching to myself now. He stands him on the temple and he says, if you're the son of God, again he's speaking ifs to him. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up from the hand so you'll not strike your foot against a stone. This should actually scare the daylights out of us. Satan is quoting Psalms to Jesus. The enemy knows our language. He knows how we're weak. He knows how to prey upon us. He knows that every one of us has a soft spot where temptation can reside. And then Jesus said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until a different season. Because the seasons of temptation will come. And the seasons of waiting will come. And the enemy will always come after a long dry spell and promise bread or authority or power. But for us, we will wait for the Lord. 
And we will wait for God to establish us, to heal us, to give us hope in his timing. Because the waiting can actually teach us, as Christ does, that we can wait well. For many of us in the church, it's a hard teaching because we're destination-minded. Totally guilty of this myself. I can't wait to finish the season, to get that next project. We're constantly living in a season other than the one God has currently put us in. But through Jesus, we can be committed to the journey, this gradual unfolding of authority and understanding that for most of us will take our whole lives, that we are taught to wait well. This is why Jesus doesn't fall for these temptations, because Jesus knows you can't rush a good story. You have to let it unfold. Jesus would say this in Matthew 24, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when we do not expect him. And so while we wait, we can be made ready. God's got something instructional for you in the season of waiting. So wait well. Or Psalm 27 says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. When we wait well, church, it's a, it's a declaration of faith. It's a declaration of hope. It's a declaration in the season he's put me in that God is God and I am not. And your waiting is not wasted. It's not wasted. Jesus is able to wait well because in in verse 1 of chapter 4, he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's led out. And then verse 14, he's led back. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. We must be a church that learns to listen while we wait and connect to Christ even in seasons that feel foreign to us. God's timing is surprising. It's purposeful. It's instructional. Will we listen while we wait? For me, I recognize that my prayer time when I'm trying to get God to act in the season I'm in, for my kids, for my wife, for the church, for my friends, I'm, I'm constantly speaking in prayer and I've been convicted recently that my prayer life should be as much waiting as speaking, as listening, as it's kind of laying out my prayer concerns. And so I've been practicing this, this meditation of just being silent before the Lord doesn't feel right because I'm not any good really at waiting. I hate to wait. So the, I want to share with you just a brief experience I had while I was waiting upon the Lord because I want this to be instructional for us as a church. If we're going to learn to wait well, it, it means that we come to the Lord in prayer and sometimes we just say, Lord Jesus, you speak to me. I want to be with you. So it was about a week and a half ago and I had this season of of, of, you know, trying to, or this moment of just trying to wait on the Lord, and I, you know, the whole house is asleep, and I'm, I'm meditating to the Lord, and I close my eyes, and I'm like, Jesus, all right, I've been speaking to you in prayer, now you, you speak to me. Ready, set, go. Crickets. All right, we're back. Uh, I got distracted with something. Jesus, I'm ready, and now. It's not working for me. And now. And, and so I'm just like, be quiet, listen, be present. I tried to distract, you know, I didn't judge myself. Thoughts would come in my head and I just kind of pushed them out. Lord, I want to I meet with you. I want to be with you. I want to wait for you. I want you to be present here in this moment. And all of a sudden, like in, in my mind's eye, I'm on the shore of, of a sea, of a body of water. You know me, if you've been coming, like that means a great deal to me. Like the Lord wants to meet us in ways that we can hear from him. 
And, and I go up to the Lord in my mind's eye and, and, and my words just fail. I'm no longer speaking. It's just God. And he just points into this rowboat. And, it, and this is like happening in my prayer life. And it was this breakthrough moment for me. Very meaningful, actually. So he gets in and he just starts rowing. And I'm with him. And I recognize in the presence of the Lord, in the fullness of the Spirit, I can wait. I don't need to know how this person's health is going to end. I don't know the answer to this child's struggle at the moment. Like, I'm with the one that can fill me up. I'm in the boat. And it's a declaration in every season. Lord God, I want to be with you. I want to make space where your spirit is so filling my life that I can wait well. And so I want to ask you, church, this morning, I want to ask you as we kind of close our time and go into worship, two questions. Who's in a season of waiting that needs prayer for hope? I'm going to invite prayer team members. We're going to have prayer team folks down along the front. I think we even have some prayer team folks on the side. And if you're in a season of waiting where you need more hope in your life, come. In, in addition, Jesus is able to wait well because he's full of the Holy Spirit. There's people in this room that need to be reminded that in faith, Christ has anointed you full of his spirit. If you want to be filled with the spirit to wait well, I want to invite you to come. We're not anointing people with prayer language this morning or slaying people in the spirit. We're, we're literally just identifying need. If we're going to wait well, we got to be people full of the Spirit. If we're going to wait well, we need to be saying, Jesus, I want your hope in this season of waiting. And so I've asked some of my friends to come forward and to pray with you. And it actually feels pretty scary because we don't do this really well as a church. We don't like to identify a need. We don't like to name our brokenness. We don't like to say, I want more of something I don't have. We're pretty self-actualized sometimes, really. But God wants to do a work in people's lives this morning. The Spirit of God wants to crash through strongholds and places of wilderness. And so if you're hungry, I want you to come. If you're thirsty, come. If you're in a season of waiting, come and we'll have people praying for you and it's okay if you have to wait because guess what I just gave that sermon you can wait well (laughs) but may we be a church hungry for the spirit Jesus is able to wait because he's full of the spirit the life you long to live of influence and intimacy is on the far side of waiting well the life you long to live healed from this struggle you're in right now is on the far side of waiting well it's all a gift of the spirit that he wants to give you so i'd invite you church to stand with us and i'm going to pray for us and then if this is you this morning that wants to be more full of the holy spirit reminded of what the spirit wants to do in you more hopeful in season waiting i want to invite you to come in time of prayer as we close in song lord jesus this is your church these are your people Thank you for allowing me the privilege to be their pastor. Thank you for allowing us this moment. We know right now, Lord, your spirit wants to minister to people in the room. And so may your spirit fall. May your spirit fall. It's a gift. And and we're taught by the scriptures that Jesus was allowed to to be fully present in his season of waiting because he was full of your Holy Spirit.
And so let us crave more of the Spirit in our life. God, we lay our lives at your feet this morning for more hope, more joy, more of your Spirit as a gift you want to give us, your people. In your name we pray, amen. When you're ready to be prayed for, come as we close in song.